This is the Stories from 1916 podcast. Using first-hand accounts and archive material, we tell the less well-known stories of ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things during Ireland's revolutionary period. Liam O'Carroll grew up on Manor Street in Stony Badder in Dublin. His father was a member of the Irish Republican Brotherhood, and he and his brothers were members of the Irish Volunteers. Liam, the eldest, joined the Volunteers at their inaugural meeting in 1913. He attended meetings at Colmkill Hall, around the corner from his house, and rose to become first lieutenant of A Company. Lectures were held at 2 Dawson Street. Pierce lectured, Thomas Macdonough lectured, James Connolly lectured, and various other people. Eamon Kant and De Valera were at these. Connolly lectured on city fighting, house-to-house fighting. Macdonough lectured on open-air guerrilla fighting. We walked more or less on the lines of normal British army training. As regards arms, we had a number of halt guns. It would be impossible to remember how many. We had a fair number of Lee Enfields. We were buying them at that time from British Army men. As a matter of fact, my father bought quite a quantity. We had a shop in Manor Street. These fellows, when they wanted a few drinks, would take anything out of the barracks. The usual thing was that they would bring a parcel around and he would give them five shillings. It might be a pair of old boots, it might be two forty-fives. On one occasion, there was delivered to him a lorry load of petrol in two gallon tins. We had a number of shotguns too. We had a very nondescript collection of small arms. We did not go by the name of ammunition. So long as it went into the breach, it was all right. On Holy Thursday, April 1916, the Commandant of the 1st Battalion, Ned Daly, called upon Liam O'Carroll to meet him in North King Street in nearby Smithfield, which was later to see some of the fiercest fighting of the Easter Rising. O'Carroll was told that he was taking the final test in his officer's exams. He then asked me how many men I had in A Company, and I said, approximately 120. Well now, he said, the problem you have here is, you have a company, and I want you to tell me exactly what preparations you would make for the purpose of defending the position against an attack by the military approaching from Stony Batter. I went around and examined the area in the immediate vicinity and I selected the spot immediately east of the old Richmond Hospital as the most suitable point to defend. I also found to the west of this point a carrier's yard on which there was an amount of timber and heavy lorries. I decided that this would be very suitable material for the erection of a barricade. I pointed out four or five houses on each side of the street and opposite to one another and explained the loopholing I would do and the break-ins from one house to another and the provision of rear exits. Commandant Daly informed me that he was very satisfied with the plan and he then said you may be called on very shortly to carry out that plan. I had formed a definite opinion that the insurrection was not far off prior to this date and this incident finally convinced me that we were very close to the actual event. The actual event, as it turned out, was to be carried out that Sunday. However, following the confusion of volunteer Chief of Staff Owen McNeil's countermanding order, the rising was delayed until the following day, Easter Monday. O'Carroll was roused from his bed early that morning and paraded at noon in Colmkill Hall with his company. We were addressed by Commandant Daly, who announced that, as from 12 o'clock today, the Irish Republic is proclaimed. He then read out a document 
which I believe to have been a copy of the proclamation. We marched out in double file from the hall. I had 28 men in my company. We turned up Queen Street to the front of the old Richmond Hospital. I halted the men. The first thing we did was to blow the lock off the gate of Cullen's Yard. We hauled out four-wheeled lorries, timber and any general heavy material we could find in the yard and we erected a double barricade across the street, one on each side of Red Cow Lane. On Tuesday I was sent for by Commandant Daly, who informed me that he had been inspecting the barricades in the area and felt that the only reasonable barricades were the ones that had been erected by my company. He instructed me to proceed to inspect all the other barricades and to do whatever was necessary to improve and strengthen them. The first thing that came to my notice on proceeding on the inspection was a mob of some hundreds of people attempting to force their way into Monk's Bakery Shop, North King Street, for the purpose of getting bread. I obtained two volunteers with rifles whom I placed inside the door of the shop and within the hearing of the mob gave them orders to shoot any person attempting to enter. I told the mob that any able-bodied men among them who would come and assist me by carrying some materials for me would receive bread. A considerable number came to assist me. These people were used for the purpose of carrying building materials from the side of houses being built in Church Street opposite the Father Matthew Hall and all this material was used to strengthen the barricades in the vicinity. While O'Carroll was maintaining order in his area, around them the rising was escalating across the city. Reinforcements were arriving in Dunleary from England to strengthen the British troops fighting to put down the rebellion. The forecourts and surrounding areas, including North King Street, saw intense house-to-house street fighting, some of the bloodiest the British army had ever encountered. The tide was turning for the volunteers, and they faced increasingly dangerous situations. I was with Frank Fahey at his post the offices of the Incorporated Law Society. He had just received some report from the Four Courts Post Office and he instructed me to proceed there. On arrival, I found a small number of men in the upper room lying flat at the windows and covering the premises of the medical mission on the opposite side of the street. They informed me that there was something suspicious going on opposite and what should they do? I questioned them It appeared to me that some attack was developing by the soldiers who had been trapped in Charles Street. Just then we saw an arm swinging with the upper portion of a body in uniform. I gathered the impression that a hand grenade was being thrown. I ordered the men to fire. They did so. The body collapsed out of sight and the hand grenade dropped in the middle of the roadway between the two posts. About this time, I received instructions to go to the west corner of the four courts facing the keys. I found a couple of men in the room here at the windows. They pointed out to me an ambulance stationed across Exchange Street where it joined Essex Quay. They informed me that they were very suspicious of this ambulance. We could hear at the same time a noise which we identified as crowbars lifting paving stones. We eventually came to the conclusion that a field gun was being fixed on the roadway under the cover of the ambulance. We decided to fire on the ambulance and immediately on this being done, the ambulance was driven away in the direction of Capel Street, exposing a field gun in position behind it where it had been. Immediately a round was fired at the four courts 
and crashed the wall of the room in which we were, and we were compelled to retire. I remember while I was there the rifle in the hands of one of the men being struck by a bullet and completely splitting the woodwork of the rifle. The volunteer in question was Conor Donovan, who describes this exact incident in the third podcast in this series. The forecourts was now under heavy artillery fire, and the situation in the GPO and other rebel garrisons was hopeless. Porrick Pierce gave the order to surrender on Saturday. The order finally reached the forecourts the following day. I escorted Father Albert and Augustine, who interviewed every member of the garrison and attended to their spiritual wants. I was thereupon sent round to call in all men from their posts and to parade them in the courtyard for surrender. As far as I can recollect, there were only about 20 or so men, but I am aware that a number of men escaped through Hammond Lane. The British Major who was in charge queried the number of men, and I assured him that that was the total garrison, and that if he was not satisfied, that he could send his man with me, and I would conduct him to all the posts. I remember him saying, If I had known this was the extent of the garrison here, you would have been out of this by half past twelve on Monday morning last. The men were ordered to hand their arms out through the railings to soldiers who placed them in a lorry. They then reassembled and were taken away. Liam O'Carroll's rising was over, and though he had led his men capably, their aim was not realised. Liam's story wasn't over, however. The next episode of the podcast will cover the next period in his life. Liam O'Carroll's witness statement was read here by his nephew, Finbar O'Carroll. For more on the Four Courts area during the Easter Rising, go to www.storiesfrom1916.com. I'm Owen Cody. Thanks for listening.